listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, this is Deborah Wolf, and welcome to the Animal Party here on Pet Life Radio. Hope you have your party shoes on. Actually, you better have your outdoor gear on. Today we're going to have an outdoor party. This is the kind with a campfire and snow all around, and you better have your long underwear on because we're going to be out in the bitter cold. Our guest today is Terry Wilson, and she's coming to us after just having returned from the Iditarod. Yeah, that's right, the Iditarod, where those dogs race through the snow, reliving the, uh, the mighty heroic effort they made years and years ago to get vaccines and medicine to children. And uh, it's an incredible route. It's over a 1,000 miles, and it's dogs that do this. It's incredible. It's so incredible. So we're going to talk to Terry about that. And Terry is a spaniel lover. Now, what is a spaniel lover doing in, in the Arctic? I don't know. But she is a spaniel lover, and she has a blog, Spaniel Diaries. And so I want you all to look that up. We're going to welcome her to the show. Welcome to the show, Terry. Hi, thank you. Okay, well, let's give them your blog so they can get looking at that right away so when we break to commercial, they'll be able to check it out and see some pictures of you and the dog sleds and the racing dogs and everything else. So can you give it to them? Yes, it's spanieldiaries.blogspot.com. And all the Iditarod blogs are in March of 2010, so they don't have to sift through the more recent stuff. Or they might, because they're really cute pictures of my dogs. No, um, Spaniels, not Valerie, it's not us. (laughs) On the side, you know, on the sidebar, you can just go to where it says previous blog post and go to March, and you can tell they're all called Mission Iditarod, and you can click on each one individually. So we're talking to Terry Wilson today, and she's an author of many books, including Cup of Joe and some romance books with dogs in them. And there's a quote here from her son. When he was in third grade, he said, my mom loves dogs and Jesus. And Terry's corrected him saying, maybe the order's a little reversed, but that's basically right. So that's who we've got on the show today. And she's won Maxwell Awards and Dog Writers Association of Awards and just a well-established writer. But here, she went away from the romance path, away from the spaniel path and ran with the big dogs so how cold was it up there um it hovered around zero most of the time we were there okay it was really cold for someone from south texas <laughs> so okay yeah. so you didn't exactly have the clothes the appropriate clothing in your basement did you no we don't even <laughs> have basements actually <laughs> you don't have basements I, so funny no um no i ordered some stuff from antarctica.com so um, I was I was warm when I was there. This is like uh, ordering from Antarctica.com. It sounds almost like Wiley Coyote sending away to the Acme Company. <laughs> so, like, what are you going to get? And how do you even know what to pick? You're just so out of your element. Okay, so you get there. What What's something you can tell us? Because we're going to have to break for a commercial in a minute, but I want them to go check out Spaniel Diaries and, and see your blog. Okay, what was what was the most exciting part of this? The most exciting part of it was working with the sled dogs. I mean, it was just so much fun. I wasn't exactly sure what to expect, but it just surpassed all my expectations. The dogs were just beautiful, and they were all very friendly. I think there's a misconception that they're, you know, vicious, but it was, it was just amazing. So this is Terry Wilson, 
normal person, not a sled dog musher, not an Arctic bush woman, normal person like you and I lives in a normal place. She went up there and she actually participated in releasing the dogs and being part of the sleds. And so we're going to talk about that when we come back to the party. Listen to the messages from our great sponsors and we'll be back to the party with Terry Wilson and the Iditarod. Don't leave this party before it's over because the best is yet to come. Only losers leave the party early anyway. Party on. Back in a few. It's time for school for you and your friends, your furry best friends. Train your dog the fun and easy way with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Teacher's Pet host Pia Silvani teaches you step-by-step how to train your dog the fun and easy way. You get eight 30-minute live audio training sessions, complete transcripts of each session, plus a basic training manual to get you and your dog off to a great start. Training begins the moment you bring your dog home. Teacher's Pet Sessions offers positive reinforcement training to shape your dog's behavior and encourages upbeat, enthusiastic responses to ensure that your dog will enjoy learning. Teacher's Pet Sessions dog training is fun at both ends of the leash. So listen, learn, and laugh with your dog with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Get your copy of Teacher's Pet Sessions Volume 1 today. To order, go to teacherspetsessions.com. Hi, this is Pia Salvani, your host. Bring your dog, tug toy, and treats, and get ready to have some fun. Teacherspetsessions.com. Hi, and welcome to The Family Pet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Colleen Safford. Each week, we'll focus on different topics, child pet safety, child pet training, just how to make an appropriate pet selection for your family. All of these things will be covered in each one of our episodes. So we hope that you will join us at The Family Pet on Pet Life Radio. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. You're you're, you're inside the VIP room. With the hottest party in town. Back to the party. Let's go. All right, everybody. Hello. Welcome back to the party. We're going to party hardy. Don't be tardy for this party. Well, actually, you can't be tardy for the party because we're a podcast. So you can listen to the whole thing anytime you want it. You can send it to your friends. But here we go. We're talking with Terry Wilson, and she just got back from the Iditarod. Now, normally, she's a romance writer, and she writes about spaniels and all these lovely, soft, cuddly things. There she is, out in the cold. And I'm, I'm reading from your blog that one of the things you learned to do was duck and dive and jump out of the way, something like that. Okay, can you explain <laughs> that to us? What is going on? You go up there, and what are they teaching you exactly? Well, um, anyone who volunteers to be one of the sled dog handlers has to take a training course, and they were very adamant about that. We got lots of emails that said, even if you have a PhD in dog, you must take the class. And um, I really didn't know what it was going to be like, but when we got there, there was a musher that came and brought his own team of sled dogs and basically ran them in a big loop around the parking lot, and we were supposed to practice what what we would be doing at the race. And before we started, they just kept telling us over and over again, if you fall down, roll out of the way. Because apparently um, it hurts when 16 dogs (laughs) run on top of you, and it hurts really bad if the sled runs over you. (laughs) 
So they kept saying, if you fall, roll out of the way. And I was a little nervous. I didn't really know what to expect because snow and ice is slippery. Well, yeah. I mean, you expect to be taught commands or technique or how to hold things or how to sit or how to do up harnesses. But no, you're taught how to get the hell out of the way. That's not, right. that was not the main voting lesson. well for the beginning. Okay. So you're thinking, what is this Yahoo sport? All right. Now, at some point, you actually got to hold dogs at the race, at the ceremonial launch, right? Mm-hmm. What, right. what kind of force are we talking about here? Is this, is this like not bad or is this extreme? Like what, what, when, when you tried in this parking lot, did you fall over? Like how bad is it when you're trying to hold back? And I know you're not just holding one, right? You're holding two? Three? Right. Well, what it is, is, you know, um, there's 16 dogs. Well, there's 12 dogs at the ceremonial start in Anchorage. And then I also handled dogs at the restart in Willow. And there the teams have 16 dogs. So there are more. And um, what you do is you get assigned to work with a pair of dogs. And you're okay. either right in front of them or right behind them. But what you're holding on to are not the actual dogs. You're not holding their harness or their collar or anything. You're holding the gang line, which is the center line that all the dogs are connected to. So when you're holding that, you know, it has the power of 16 dogs, you know, behind it. And what our job was to do was to get the sled safely from wherever they began up to the starting point. And, you know, the dogs are so excited and they're hyped up and they're ready to go. So they just, you know, when the, when the mutcher gives them the hike command, they just want to take off. But you want it to be nice and controlled on the way to the start so you're not running into other teams or other people. And so the handlers hold on to the center line and run alongside the dogs holding back trying to slow the team down up to the start line and it is it was way more powerful than i ever expected i mean there was you know it depended upon the musher some mushers had eight to ten people helping out and some had over 20 handlers and you still had to run pretty much as fast as you could to keep up oh more humans than dogs you're saying to hold back (laughs) oh my like that's quite something right because a dog's like what these dogs are 40 50 pounds and a human's 120 180 and you need more humans standing there than dogs. That's amazing. Exactly. Okay. So when you're pulling on this thing, I'm picturing like a, almost like a tug of war, but except one team in, on one side and one team on the other. It's not quite like that. You're all together. But the dogs right. are pulling, pulling, pulling this way and you're trying to hold it back. Is that what it's like? Or are you just that like slipping and like. sliding? Oh it's God. like doing a tug of war in snow and ice while <laughs> <Again>. running. Yeah. <laughs> And and people do fall down. I did not fall down, luckily, but many, many people did. And I think at the restart, someone actually broke their wrist or something because they got trampled. But, you you know, the uh, main thing is if you fall down, roll out of the way. So I was kind of scared because at the class where we practiced in the parking lot, and that was only with eight dogs. So, I mean, I really was woefully unprepared for the real thing after practicing with eight dogs because okay. 12 yeah. and 16 are a lot stronger. But um, I was sliding all over the place, and a lot of, everyone was falling down at the class. But afterwards, I thought, okay, I know I can do this. But then when I got to the actual race and I was assigned to my dogs, I was on the opposite side of the center line. And, of course, uh-huh. I'd been thinking the whole time, if I fall down, roll to the left. If I fall down, roll to the left. <laughs> and then when I got to the real thing, I needed to roll to the right. I kept thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to fall, I'm going to roll, they're going to trip me. But it, it worked out fine. <laughs> it was oh, very nice. exhilarating. So before you did the actual race and, and volunteered there, you also, in your blog, you talk about actually trying to mush, standing on the sled. But there's something in there that's just crazy to me. Okay, I'm reading it, and I'm thinking, no, she's got to be joking. But no, you were, you're serious. They tell you if the thing's going too fast, you're supposed to take this hook, right? This is right. And, and Okay, so you're on the sled. 
There's 12 dogs or 10 dogs, 14 dogs, whatever, 16, pulling you fast, and it's out of control, and you think they're going off in the wrong direction because they're chasing something you don't see. Okay, so all of a sudden, their noses go in the air, and they all start running in the direction of polar bear or something, seal, and okay, off they go. You don't know where they're going. If you want to stop them, you're supposed to lift up a really heavy metal hook and throw it in the air, right? Almost right. like an anchor, and it's yes, supposed to exactly. take purchase. Okay, this is, again, I'm thinking cartoons. Like, how would any novice be able to accomplish that? You can't balance. It's fast. It's cold. It's free. You've never thrown this thing. It's probably ridiculously heavy. And then, like, what are the chances of it actually getting stuck? I mean, I can't even, you know, the little kid dart games, the magnet things, they fall oh, they off. They say I throw them. that eventually it will get stuck on something, whether it's a tree root or a tree oh, or a bush. You know, you may go a ways, but eventually, if it doesn't hook into the snow and ice, it's going to hook onto something. But um, Oh, like it drags. That, though, I see. So it drags right. behind the sled. It catches on something. Oh, and then there must be this incredible bungee, you know. <laughs> oh, it must be just terrible when it finally catches and all the dogs and you and everything whiplash. I mean, this is not an easy, easy thing to do. If people listening want to get involved in the Iditarod, but they don't think they're quite up to all this, what other things can they do? There are a million different types of volunteer opportunities with the Iditarod. And they take place all year long, so you don't have to go, you know, during the actual race. I know that I think it's in February or January, a few months before the race starts, they have a week-long thing where people can come and make the ointment that they put on the dog's paws um, that protects their feet during the race. And I know a lot of vet techs and people go up and do that, but I think anyone can go up there and make the ointment. And then there's um, race communications during the race where they can answer the phone and help with logistics, getting um, the planes to and from the checkpoints. They even have pilots volunteer at the Iditarod because they have a volunteer group called the Iditarod Air Force. And they're all pilots of small planes. And the planes go back and forth from Anchorage to the different checkpoints along the trail to pick up dogs that need to come back because they're tired or sick or something and, you know, or pick up supplies and that kind of a thing. And then there's the registration desk, which is really fun because you get to meet the volunteers checking in for the race. And they're from all over the world. I worked the registration desk one night, and I met people from as far away as Australia who were coming for the race. And there's mushrooms oh, nice. all over the world. So there's all sorts of different opportunities. I mean, there were there was a woman in, in our group who was almost 90 years old, and she's been volunteering every year for 11 years. And she works the registration desk because she can sit and check people in. So mm-hmm. it's really, you know, anyone can do it. Okay, so we're going to talk a little more about this, and I'm going to ask you about the dogs who drop out. I'm going to ask you about the teeth of the dogs who compete. I'm going to ask you a few more things when we come back, but we're going to go to commercials right now. So everybody, hang on to your party vibe. Go to the commercials, but come right back, because we're talking to Terry Wilson, author of Cup of Joe, Do You Hear What I Hear, Rodeo Redemption, Love Lilies and the Unbroken Straw, Hoof Beats and Heartstrings, and All Creatures of Our God and King. But we're not talking about that right now. We're, we're talking about the Iditarod. So put your mittens on, go get a cup of hot chocolate or a cup of joe, and come back to the party. Don't go anywhere, because the best is yet to come. Stick around. Greetings, human. What planet am 
Meyer. Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Aquariums and pond keeping are among the most popular of all hobbies in the United States and throughout the world. In fact, fish are probably the most numerous pet in people's homes and in their businesses. In Aquarium Mania, we'll learn more about the secret and not-so-secret life of fish and other inhabitants, the basics of good aquarium keeping, the complexities of the aquarium industry, and the science and art that surround this fascinating hobby. I'm your host, Roy Anong, and I'd like to thank you for joining us. Aquarium Mania. Every week, on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. PetLifeRadio.com Pet you're, you're inside the VIP room With the hottest party in town Back to the party Let's go Hello, you're listening to Animal Party And you are on time for this party You are always welcome You are on the A-list You get to come back and meet the sled dogs At the Iditarod today But I did forget at the beginning of the show To give you our trivia question So here it is What do you think an average wolf can eat in one sitting? He's hungry, he kills something, and he eats. Does he eat one pound? Does he eat two pounds? Does he eat five pounds? Or does he eat ten pounds? All at once, raw meat, gorging. What do you think? Think about that, and we'll tell you at the end of the show. But while we talk, let's get back with Terry Wilson, back on the Iditarod, and find out, okay, what were the sled dogs eating? Um, they ate what looked to me like a mixture of kibble with meat. Um, I know that a lot of the mushers on the trail like to give them really high-fat meat like salmon and beaver and that kind of a thing because they're burning so many calories when they're running. Um, but there at the race, um, a lot of them were eating ground beef mixed with kibble or other types of you know, animal meat mixed with dry, dry dog food. You know, just the cold itself means they have to eat a lot of, a lot of food. If you've ever uh, had to have a hospital test and you weren't allowed to eat for 24 hours or something like that, you find everything, you're just freezing because food is what insulates our body. So even the musher, who's not working as hard physically as the dogs, has to eat a lot in these temperatures. So it's interesting to think what they eat. And I know that the winner, the guy who's been winning the last few years, he feeds his dogs more often than the others, doesn't he? Every couple hours and a little bit. Right. He stops every two hours, no matter where he is or what he's doing, and gives them all a high-fat, high high-protein high snack. And I know he uses a lot of fish, because I just read his book when I was on my way back from Alaska. But he stops every two hours, 
and make sure that his dogs eat some, you know, some sort of snack to keep them going. I did find out while I was there, too, that one of the main um, attributes to look for in a successful sled dog is that they're a good eater, which I wouldn't have thought. I would have thought, you know, that they had a lot of stamina or they like to go fast. But the main thing is you have to have a dog that loves to eat because they have to eat enough while they're on the trail or they're going to run out of energy. That does not surprise me. There are many dogs who will not eat when they're stressed or working. Lots of dogs. Right. Border collies are typical of this. They'll throw up right before they go to work because they don't want to be on a heavy stomach. You know, that would not work. But I wonder, you know, I know that a couple of years ago there was a team of uh, standard poodles, which you didn't see them, did you? Oh, I'd love <laughs> I to did see not them see action. a single poodle. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, but there was, right? You can verify right. this. There really yeah, was well, a team. Okay. There, there I was don't know a team who it was, but and I the Iditarod. Okay, and um, the uh, I always wonder about blue healers, why nobody ever tries them, but maybe they can't handle the cold. These mm-hmm. dogs are not as big as you'd think, and they're not as mean as you'd think. And I was happy to hear when we talked about this last time that you verified for me that they no longer are cutting the fangs, that the canine teeth are left intact, that these dogs are beautiful and natural and fit for what they do. And, and tell us about them. Are they happy dogs? Oh, gosh, they're super happy dogs. They love what they're doing. You know, they would be laying around totally chill, you know, rolling on their back, wanting belly scratches. And then as soon as they got harnessed up and attached to the gang line, they were going crazy. I mean, like jumping vertically in the air four and five feet. You know, they were so excited (laughs) and couldn't wait to get going. They love what they do. Um, And I didn't pet a single, I mean, basically when you're there, they, you know, the mushers are real good about letting you go and pet the dogs. And of course, you want to hold your hand out and let them sniff you first. But they were all... um, real receptive to being petted and especially the dropped dogs, the ones that dropped out and came back, you know, they just wanted to be loved on. I mean, they're just like your regular, normal, happy-go-lucky dogs. So you could touch them. They could be with each other. There wasn't fighting. There wasn't aggression. They didn't. I know that there's sometimes protests and people sometimes think dogs shouldn't be working for humans. And I have a lot of trouble with this. I totally disagree. I think humans and dogs found each other. They're two of the species that are a great example of symbiosis, in my opinion. We work very well together. There's a doctor I've had on my show before, Stanley Corin, and we actually won the Dog Writers Association Award for the show we did on this network together. So he's a great guest to have. And he says in his books and his research that the difference between Neanderthals who went extinct and the branch of, of ape man that didn't go extinct, our branch, is that we had dogs. He says, that's it. Otherwise, we'd be where they are, gone. So it's very interesting to think that um, this kind of work, this is the ultimate work, a thousand miles and extreme terrain and cold. So we all know there are dogs that don't make it, right? They've they're chosen right. and picked, but maybe they cut a paw or something goes wrong. They have diarrhea. Something goes wrong and they're just not up to it. What happens to them in the middle of the race? Well, every team um, starts out with 16 dogs. Every musher is allowed to bring 16 dogs, and you have to stay with the same 16 dogs throughout the race. Um, I, I had kind of I, – I didn't know about that before I got there. I thought you could, you know, mix – you know. Pick up new ones. They drop them, but you can't. You know, they're, they're all 16 right. from the very beginning, and they're all microchipped. And at every single checkpoint, um, a vet looks over the dogs, and they're also, their microchips are scanned to make sure it's the same okay. dogs that you started with. And then at the checkpoints, um, a musher can make the decision himself, or a vet can make, you know, make the recommendation, you know, this dog seems kind of tired, they need to be dropped. So um, if a dog is tired or if they're sick, or if they've gotten injured or something, they can be dropped. And what happens is a member of the Iditarod Air Force, the little planes, will pick up the dog mm-hmm. and bring them back to Anchorage where they are cared for by Iditarod volunteers. 
and um, some of the dogs. Oh, were, hey, wait a minute! That sounds like a nice volunteer position. I like the I sound. Know. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. And some of the dogs are actually taken to the prison, the women's prison in Anchorage, where the women prisoners take care of the dogs until the end of the race. So oh, nice! Great. Oh, that's yeah. great! Oh, so it's, good for everybody really that one. Yeah, yeah, no, that's terrific. Okay, so they need things like medicines and ointments, but mostly they're just really pissed off at themselves and really upset, and they need a lot of a lot yeah. of love and cuddles because they're really, really bummed that they're missing the race. Now, did they yeah, reunite the drop dogs at the at the finish? Did they get to take part? Like in the celebration, do they reunite them with the team at the end? Oh well, it depends upon where the dogs where the dogs are dropped. Um, most right. of them go back to Anchorage, but toward the end of the race, I think some of them are flown to Nome, where the finish is, and so then they would be reunited with their mushers there. There was one day that I hung out with all the dropped dogs because I wanted to see the process of them getting checked in and, and what happens when they get in. Because I'm thinking about going back and trying to do that next year. And a more dogs, sane job placement. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. All the dogs that um, had come in on that plane there were probably you know 10 or 12 of them and none of them had any serious injuries or problems the vet just said mainly they were tired you know and they were, they were tired of running so they'd come back and they all just wanted a bunch of love and attention some of them had little down coats on and they were all you know snuggling in their straw there was one dog that had been dropped the day before that I think had come down with pneumonia and so the uh-huh. vet wanted it to be kept inside and it was real interesting because, you know, people see the pictures of these sled dogs outside in their little dog houses with all the snow, and they think, oh, that's so mean they're outside. Well, the one that was inside was miserable. I mean, it was panting its head off the whole time, you know, yeah. because they have these thick coats, and, and they're really built to be, out, you know, outside in the elements. Otherwise, they could never do a race like this. So the one that was having to stay in a crate inside was not a happy camper. But yeah. this year was unique because usually every year in the Iditarod, there has been a handful of dogs um, that have been, um, you know, have died during the race. I know one year Susan Butcher had a moose attack her team, and a, she lost a couple dogs to the moose attack. Oh, and, funny. you know, different things happen because it is the wilderness, but this year not one single dog in the Iditarod died. All of them made it safely. Wow. Well, that's something. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, it is a question for all of us to ponder in our lives. You know, how do you want to die? There's a Leonard Cohen song out there now, who by water, who by this, who by fire, who by, you know, and all of us are going to die. And would a dog choose to die in battle, in duty, in, in ecstasy, or in a hospital somewhere? You know, what, what would it choose if it was its choice? And th- some of these dogs do age, and there is a time when they have to retire. So there are rescue groups, too. Can you tell us a little bit about that? There are different sled dog rescue groups, and one of the things I learned that was really cool when I was there is several of the mushers, one of them in particular, I remember her name, Zoya Denure, um, she and her husband run a sled dog rescue and rehabilitation center, and her Iditarod team is comprised of dogs that she's bred herself, and about half of them are rescue dogs that they get actually from the pound. And she says, wow. really, you know, there's really no difference between a dog that you breed yourself and a dog you get from the pound. A dog you get from the pound that likes to eat and likes to run and is a husky, and, you know, they can run the race just like anyone else. And so there are several measures that run with rescue dogs, and I just, I really liked that. Can you tell me her name again, Terry? Yeah. Her first name is Zoya, Z as in zebra, O-Y-A. And okay. her last name is Denure, D-E-N as in Nancy, U-R-E. And get this, she's a former fashion model. No way. Oh, yes. that's funny. Okay. Beautiful. Well, I'm going to try yeah. and get her on the show. I'd like to hear what she has to say because I'm always interested in how rescue dogs can perform. And a lot of the hearing dogs, the dogs who, who work for deaf people are from rescue. 
because they don't need to be a certain size and the work is not physically difficult like it would be for a seeing eye dog or an MS patient. And in those cases, you need a dog where you know the history because you want it to work a long, long time and not get things like arthritis. And you need a really sound body you can count on for a lot of years, whereas with a hearing dog, you don't. So they're more willing to try with rescue and they find the results are tremendous you know and I, I do find that with rescue dogs they're so willing to please because they're so grateful there's a huge amount of gratitude you get when you take a dog that's had a family and lost it or never had one at all and then knows that it can count on you I mean the sun rises and sets on your head with that dog whereas the puppy you get from the breeder I mean it's like your baby it's a little bit different it takes a while to teach it to take care of you and watch out for you and not have you always watching out for it. But I don't know if you even try with spaniels. I mean, I, <laughs> I have dogs. I expect them to watch out for me and my children. I expect that, right? I mean, as soon as they're grown up, they should be watching me on a walk, not me watching them. They should be keeping me in view and, you know, making sure I'm okay, not the other way around. Okay, so what do you want to make sure we know about the Iditarod before we go? Oh, I would just say, you know, if you're a dog lover and you have the opportunity to go up to Alaska and be involved, it is like nothing else you would ever experience. Everyone who I met there, well, I met people from all over the world, and without a doubt, when we would start talking, they would all say they were there because of how much they loved dogs. Everyone is there because they love dogs and they want to help support the race and help support the dogs, and it is, I mean, it was the adventure of a lifetime, so... If anyone has and you can make a big trip out of it, right? Is, is there a lot of, I mean, I would imagine from your blog and also from what I've read, there seems to be a lot of tourist connections to the Iditarod. So you can actually go the historical route and learn a lot as you go and make a trip of it. It's not just the race. Oh, definitely. Yeah, no, we went to Wasilla, which is where the race headquarters are, and they have a big museum there that's all about the history of the Iditarod, and they even have one of the original I did rod dogs from the actual race, you know, the, the relay to Nome where they were delivering the diphtheria for the, yeah. the children. They have one of the actual dogs stuffed, like taxidermy. Wow. <laughs> How big is it, that dog? Is it small like the ones now? 60, yes. 50 pounds? Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Interesting. Yes. I know it's it is, important it's that each pair is exactly identical or as identical as they can be in the harness and that the team itself is pretty much a standard size. But it always struck me that they weren't just a little bigger, <laughs> that they're a little yeah, small. you know, awesome. I think people think, you know, of Siberian Huskies because they're a little bit bigger. And there were um, a handful of teams there running exclusively Siberian Huskies on their teams. And so their dogs were a bit bigger. Um, people were calling them Slowberians as a joke because they are slower than the Alaskan Huskies. Right, right, Probably okay. because of their size, but they were absolutely beautiful. But the Alaskan right. Huskies, um, the average size of an Iditarod dog is 55 pounds. Although I did read in the paper when I was up there this year that there was a 29-pound Alaskan Husky running on one of the teams. You know, okay, we'll get to that in a second, but the 55 pounds makes sense because that's that endurance number. And when people are asking me about, oh, what kind of dog should we get for our family? So many people think, mistakenly, that big means more exercise, that medium will be less exercise, and small will be even less. And this is so not right. If you get a giant dog, he's going to lay about a lot. He's not really going to be that active. But if you get one of these medium ones, one of these 55-pounders, that's every herding dog, all of the lean hunting dog females, pretty much, that's all the workers. Those are the ones who never, never stop. And it makes sense that those are the ones they'd pick. It totally makes sense. Now, 29 pounds? Good I God. Know. That's like a Springer Spaniel. What the heck is it doing on I a know. sled? My English Cocker is only 23 pounds. I mean, that's dangerously close. 
<laughs> okay, no, so when was... are you doing it? When are you getting a cocker team to the <laughs> Iditarod? I want to know. And where are they going to go? To the first pond? Like, where? That's just not going to work. Flesh out. No, a I bunch did get of, them uh, little t shirts that say future sled dog. Oh, did you? Yes. They're not, I'm not hooking them up. <laughs> People think you're delusional now. Now they're really questioning you. Okay. So, so what do you think about my trivia question? Do you think wolves would eat one pound, two pounds, five pounds, or ten pounds, Terry? Um, well, first of all, I did get my picture taken petting a wolf while I was in Alaska, and it's on the blog oh, yeah. if anyone wants to see it. It was a really okay. elderly one. Um, okay. I was hoping that I would get to hear the answer to this question. Uh, okay, what are my choices again? One pound, two pound, mm-hmm. five pounds, or ten pounds? Five pounds. Well, you're close. It's actually ten pounds. Oh, no way. Ten pounds. Ten like, just go, just go for it. But then they do sleep. So I can see why the sled dogs are kept to less. You know, little smaller meals more often and keep going, right. keep going, keep going. Because if you had ten pounds, you would not be running the next, you know, an hour later or the next day even. <laughs> wow. I don't think. But it's pretty incredible what they can do. So we're going to finish the show now. We're going to have to end the party. It's time to go. It's been great visiting with you and hearing all about the Iditarod. I thought about going before, but my husband says I'd never make it because I just, I'm not a cold person. You know, if they could do it in the sand, if they could do it in Florida somewhere, I'd be really happy to go. (laughs) And I just don't think so. I'm really amazed that you were able to do all this and laugh about it. Was there a bad moment? Was there a moment where you thought, what the heck am I doing here? No, well, after I kept hearing the, if you fall down, roll out of the way, and before I actually tried it, I was a little scared. Right. <laughs> but um, no, I definitely want to go back. And next year, I'd like to go back to Nome, where the end of the race is, um, okay. because they have an area there called the Dog Lot. And as the mushers finish the race, their dogs get a little dog lot area and volunteers help take care of the dogs for about a week until the end of the Iditarod Banquet after all the mushers have come in. So I'd like to do that next year. And, and the dog lot operates 24 hours a day, so there's a lot of volunteer opportunities. But it does get a lot colder in Nome because it's right up there near the Arctic <sighs> Circle. Are you really going to have – like that's like – is it minus 30 or, or so? Like well, that's Winnipeg year- stuff. That's like stuff I don't go near. What, what, that's brutal, <laughs> right? That's like flash freezes, you know, all that stuff. Got to have special gear under, over, can't have exposed flesh. That's cold, right? That, that is cold. Well, it – you know, it was supposed to get down to negative 37 in Nome this year, and it never did. It never oh. got colder than, like, negative 22. But, um, but, you know, everyone says if you have the right gear, it, you'll be okay. Yeah, and I actually didn't say. even use some of the gear that I brought with me this year. I was actually overprepared. So I think I could do negative 20. You know what? I want if you do this again, will you will you come on the show and talk to me about it? Because I oh, want to hear. And I'm I'm definitely going back next year. I'm just you know, I'm not oh, sure in what great. capacity, but I'm definitely going back again. So I would be glad to come back on the show. Well, today's party was all about the Iditarod, but I would like to have you back to talk about some of your other books. I've got Cup of Joe in front of me, so I've got to read it. I've got some of your <laughs> other books too, and so we'll have you back in the future if you're willing to come back to the party and party with us at Animal Party on Pet Life Radio. Great, I'd love to. Okay, so thanks, everybody. Thanks for coming to our party. That was Terry Wilson. And uh, do you want to give them your blog one more time? It's spanieldiaries.blogspot.com. And can they find out about your books? I think they could see your books right on our Pet Life Radio website, can't they? So they'll be able to see some of the covers and the titles, and they can order them, I believe, at Barnes & Noble or Amazon. So it should be pretty easy for them, right? Right. It's real easy. And right now I'm working on an Alaskan romance. Oh, nice. So if you're a romance reader, (laughs) you love romances, and you also love dogs, 
This is actually a romance book you could carry around and no one would laugh at you because they wouldn't even realize it was a romance book because on the front is usually a pug or some adorable animal all dressed up, so they just think it was a dog book. So, yeah, no, but it's, it's a way of kind of mating the two. If you love dogs and you, lo- and you love romance novels, then check out Terry Wilson's books. Thanks a lot, Terry. Thanks. Okay, everybody. Thank you for coming to my party. We'll see you at the next party. You're always on the guest list. On the VIP list, in fact, at Animal Party Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.